0: Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two,
1: one. Welcome back to the 38th episode of the OpVec Cast. I'm Steve Cuff, and joining me this evening, I got Sean Glennis with me.
2: Hello.
1: I got Jake Trapila. Hey, hey, hey! That was a good Fat Albert, man. You've been practicing that one? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that that sounded more like a like a Muppet or like a Sesame Street character, but you know, yeah, that's I, he worked. Out I don't like. know
3: what Fat Albert sounds like outside of saying "Hey, hey, hey." Yeah, I don't know if he really talks. But does he ever
1: say anything else? I gotta I
3: gotta watch I one. It's like a whole cartoon. I don't think he can get away with just saying the one thing
1: I don't know man. When are you gonna write that article about you know watching Fat Albert
0: in the post cosby era
3: <laughs> well, that's that sounds pretty juicy.
0: maybe he is talking, and we need Amy Adams to translate what he's saying. ooh, that could be it uh
3: <laughs> in the future or, or the past time
1: Spoiler is a alert. circle, man. Maros, I didn't get to introduce you. The Ray of sunshine and optimism that is adam Myros how are you doing man
3: ah oh, i'm I'm tired,
2: but we're, we're soldiering oh, on you know
1: big baby Myros. Yeah. So, uh,
2: speaking of soldiering on um it is uh mid late november um i just I just wanted to say I, I wanted to get sort of the political stuff out of the way quick and uh say uh, I want to take a stance and say that I vastly prefer uh, crunchy peanut butter to uh creamy. That's that's a bold statement, you know. We're living in you Trump's America. Are a monster. Mm-hmm. This is this
1: is the you effect know? that Trump's America has. We got crunchy people floating around.
3: I'm more of a cream man myself as well. You know, yeah, my, my stance has
1: always been, you know, I, I'm a bipartisan peanut butter guy. If you give me crunchy, I'll deal with it. I prefer smooth, but whatever. The place where I draw How do you feel the line. About Pope? I, I draw the line at the all-natural peanut butter that separates, and you got that nasty oil sitting on top.
2: <laughs> Who the <laughs> you know, fuck is no, Nobody should eat that. That's, that's not house acceptable. House is, my is more of a goober, man. Ooh. Uh,
3: Have you ever actually uh, I, I, I had goobers? I couldn't goobers? tell you. I've had goobers when I was like eight years old. I, Adam, I, I didn't, didn't even you, like it then. Uh. Adam, do moms like you choose Jif? They do. That's, that's
2: the best brand right there. Yep, that's the mm-hmm. cream of the crop. I'm a
0: skippy guy. Skippy,
2: Jesus! No, the best brand is Peanut.
1: What the fuck is that?
2: Peanut—the peanuts that turn themselves into peanut butter and remain crunchy. <laughs> Natural peanut butter. Oh God! One that that God. was <laughs> it's
1: happening. That is, uh, Sean, you've, you've gone officially off the of deep end. All right, guys. So we're here tonight. We we're, we pretty much wrapped up Connexploitation, exploitation, or at least we will once uh, the <laughs> the last episode goes up. But oddly enough, I think we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, another Canadian, a guy who I didn't think was Canadian, a guy until about 30 seconds ago. I didn't know how to pronounce his name, even though I like his movies. Uh, and a guy who I kind of thought was Charlie Villanueva for a while, but that's a basketball player. <laughs> what is this guy's name? Denny's Grand Slam or what? <laughs> how do I say his name? Denny
2: Villanue. Uh, there you go. Denny Villanueva. All
1: right, I got it. We're good. We're good. Denny Villanueva, man. He, oh, oh, hi, Denny.
3: <laughs> oh, hi, Denny. Hey, hey, hey Steve. <laughs> you do realize that by the time anyone could possibly listen to this, that the exploitation podcast will already presumably be up there. No, I, I
1: mentioned that. I, I, you just, I backtracked on that. You're doing a whole
3: right. lot of sausage making here. They they would never know that exploitation month is not completed because uh, it, it, it would be. Completed, it would be completed by the time the this point. is
1: posted. Hey man, it's it's just a little inside baseball. People love. They they always come up to me on the street. They say, "Steve, you know what I love about optimism vaccine?" I say, "What?" And they they go into this whole long list of things they love, but they always mention just the you know the inside baseball talk. They really like when we okay, just talk well, about, about shit a they don't care about.
2: Do you guys prefer inside baseball or how the sausage is made? <laughs> I've always been a sausage man. Yeah, that's that's true.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, okay. enough about sausage. Sure. I split. <laughs> Sausage? I don't know. What are those things? <laughs> oh, California.
1: Uh, they don't need that. Yeah, he's he only eats soy rizo. So, <laughs> you guys all had a chance to go and see the arrival, right? Yes, sir. Wait, the arrival, the arrival, Charlie or the arrival? Sheen? Yeah, the arrival <laughs> with Charlie Sheen. Yeah, have you seen it? The second run theater. It was, <laughs> it's a good one. What do you What do you think the asylum straight to DVD? Arrival movie is going to be like just we're arrived. here arrived,
2: arrived, <laughs> or just the coming. Arrive.
1: The coming that the that's com- probably the that would be the porn parody I think or yeah,
2: the landing. Oh. How about that? That works. La- landing.
1: So, did you guys did did you enjoy? I mean, I, I like Charlie. I I love his his movies, or at least the ones <laughs> I've seen. Sicario is fucking amazing, and I think he's got a real knack for taking movies that I normally wouldn't give a shit about and making me give a shit about them. Like, if Jake mm. wouldn't have said, Steve, you really need to see Sicario, you really, really, really need to see it, I probably wouldn't have gone out of my way to see it just because the idea of, like, oh, a kind of oscar political thriller. Like, I, I don't give a flying fuck about political thrillers. Or in the case of Arrival, you know, oh, it's a it's a smart sci-fi movie. It's like, oh, boy, another another, you know... Uh, fucking what's it called um, I'm blanking right now uh, Interstellar. Interstellar yeah Interstellar another Interstellar which I don't ever want to yeah. see another Interstellar for as long as I live
2: I, I feel the same way or or at least I came to him the same way um, I saw Prisoners just like uh, renting it uh, with other people just as like sort of a thriller to pass the time and, and it 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 uh, Revealed itself to be um, something that had like a lot of control over its subject matter, and to be like really well shot and, and well paced, and and lots of things like that. Like it just, it just was obvious that it was um, well thought out and, and a, a better movie than just your uh, basic pres- procedural.
1: Sure, slightly better than the Jackal, Sean.
2: The Jackal has uh, Jack Black getting uh, his hand up, shot off by um, Bruce Willis in a chameleon minivan. So that's really kind of a hard
1: Yeah, I guess hard I, sell. That is, that's true. Maybe, maybe the Jackal really is the pinnacle of cinema. Uh, Jake, how about you? Did You, you saw The Arrival? What did you think? I just called it The Arrival again. Did you, you saw Arrival? What did you think?
0: I did see Arrival, and I liked it quite a bit. Um, Much like Sean, I had a similar discovery with uh, Denis Villeneuve. Um, I went and just saw Prisoners on a whim because I had heard good things. And to my surprise, it was much more assured than most studio films really are. Then a few months later, his film Enemy came out, and I've just been sort of following his work ever since. And I love Sicario, and I think uh, Arrival can sit up there amongst his best work, and I didn't expect it. I mean, I knew it would be, like, a very technically polished film, but I didn't think it to be as intelligent and emotionally resonant as it was.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's my biggest takeaway from it because I, I liked it a lot, and it, it had a few problems, which we can we can get into that later, but sure. I, I really appreciate the fact that he, crea- he takes these movies that I normally wouldn't give a shit about, and he makes me care about them, uh, but also they're not... Like, I, I don't have to go to the art house theater to see them. Like, I, I got to see Arrival on, you know, the super mega screen with ultimate surround sound and the in the seats where you get to, you know, sit in recliners or whatever, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I don't have to compromise that experience at all. And it gets more people get exposure to these great movies. And I think that's kind of cool, too. And it is odd to me that especially with Arrival, because if if you just think about it as a mainstream movie, it's accessible to a degree. But, like, there's a guy sitting next to me in a backwards hat and cargo shorts and a 311 shirt, and I don't know if he liked it very much. I mean, maybe he did because he understands the concept of, like, nonlinear time because he's clearly living in 1998. But, uh, it's, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird to me that I, I, just, I just wonder what some people think after they walk out of a movie like Arrival.
2: Yeah, I think that, that's an interesting point to sort of, um, I guess, contextualize where this sits amongst peers um, and amongst other mainstream movies, because um, <clears throat> it had a relatively slight budget. Uh, it had like $50 million, which probably sounds like a lot, but for a movie about aliens with like a nice cast and, you know, that looks good and, and all that jazz... Uh, it's really small. Um, like I'm sure compared to gravity and the Martian, it's, uh, like, you know, minuscule. Um, and it, it, it doesn't look like that on the screen. Like they threw everything on the screen. Um, and which, which is nice, but, um, but I don't know how, how, does it make sense to you that this movie sits next to movies like, uh, gravity and interstellar and the Martian, or does it seem more artsy to you guys? And I, I'm not suggesting one or the other, but
3: uh, I haven't chimed in yet. I'm going to say it sits right in that same group for me. I mean, I think Gravity is probably the best uh, out of that sort of subgrouping. But I think that this uh, fits quite in, it fits in pretty well with Interstellar. I mean, it's got a very similar sort of conceit to it. It's it's executed much more effectively. It's it, there's no like absurdist element to it which uh i found the third act of interstellar to be beyond absurd but uh i just mm-hmm. again the way it plays with with time and I, I don't think it's emotionally resonant enough for me to consider it like a, a successful sort of art house nor do i think that was really Villeneuve's goal i just think it's a mm-hmm. sort of a, a crowd-pleasing puzzle box film which is not really my bag, generally, and and I didn't love this movie. I thought it was it was very well crafted, but it wasn't something I'm, you know, going to run out and buy or anything.
2: Sure.
1: So it's it's not quite Solaris, but it's uh, it's not Independence Day. Is
2: that, is that a pretty fair? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's funny you say so. It's funny you say Solaris because I was thinking I've been thinking about Soderbergh a lot. With so I, I watched um uh, a couple earlier Villeneuve movies. Um, so I, this was like the fifth one of of his that I've seen, and um. He has a very chameleon-like f- style of filmmaking. So I saw uh, *Prisoners* and Sicario*, and and those sort of like to me fit together. They have certain influences, like um, the, they're very like Fincher-like, um, and there's probably some Soderbergh in there too, but. Um, Uh, I thought that that was sort of like his style and then sort of branching out from that like incendies has a much different style it's it's subdued stylistically and um, it has sort of like this big issue foreign film of the 2000s late 2000s 2010 Um, and enemy I don't know I I, I don't know how to describe enemy Um, but um, it's a little bit different and. In, in terms of how the, the plot is propelled and the character dynamics and uh, a lot of stuff. And then this is, um, I don't know, um, Arrival, it didn't seem as, like, tense. And um, so I think his last two movies, Prisoners and um, and Sicario, kind of play on a little bit of, like, horror... Uh, genre tropes like mm-hmm. they're not horror films but they play on these really uh, suspenseful and horror um, like tones that I really appreciated mixed in with non-horror movies and uh, this sort of like branches out and it plays with like this like Malick uh, bookended stuff mm-hmm. that that I don't that I didn't care for just because it seemed so um, carbon copied like it, it didn't seem like it, it was his own thing but um, going back to Soderbergh um, I think that Soderbergh Solaris next to these movies like Gravity, Interstellar, and Martian obviously came like at least a decade beforehand. But um, I don't know. I think it, it feels it feels set apart from those. Like aesthetically, I think it's similar to, to something like Arrival. But I, I think it has – in a way, it can show up at the multiplex alongside these. But – Feel much more personal. Well, it was also a tremendous failure. I I love
3: Solaris. (laughs) I think it's it's maybe Soderbergh's best film, and I like it probably better than Tarkovsky's version. But it's very different. Hot take of the night. Personal. Wow, it's a very personal and emotional film as opposed to Tarkovsky's more
2: very clinical,
3: scientific minded.
2: Sort of I hear that opinion actually like much more often like from from a lot of like professional film critics that they prefer Soderberghs, but um, but that's neither here nor there. But but uh, I guess I just wanted to say quickly and end this this rant that this chameleon like filmmaking started as something that I I I appreciated but didn't know was there with Prisoner Sicario, and the more I see, the less enchanted I am with parts of his movies or or some of them entirely.
1: Yeah, you know, while we're on serious film discussion here, Myros, can you say that you like Soderbergh's uh, Solaris better than Tarkovsky's one more time for me?
0: <laughs> just,
1: just
3: say it one more I, time. I, I think they're both great films, but I do personally prefer uh, Soderbergh's Solaris to Tarkovsky's. Oh!
1: <laughs> God. <laughs> Thank you. I just I just really want to use the ham horn. I have 2% left on my phone, so I figured that was a good way to, uh, you know, drain the battery. Um yeah, I, I think one of the comparisons for me, as is, is far as like Soderbergh goes, at least, is uh, Denny Villeneuve is keenly aware of his budgetary restrictions, and I think it, as a movie, Arrival almost works better because it didn't have a Christopher Nolan three hundred bajillion million trillion dollar budget.
2: Uh, oh yeah so, Christopher Nolan works better when he doesn't have that budget <laughs> yeah it's exactly someone should stop cutting that dude checks but yeah mm. just, just the way that they
1: kind of shroud all the aliens so one we don't have to see what the CGI really looks like and two it adds like an air of mystery to it so it works you know to help a very economical film but at the same time it actually makes the movie a little bit more mysterious and then I, I, I was hearing what you're saying too about how there wasn't that element of of tension or horror really and i totally get that and i think it's it's almost a i wouldn't even say it's a flaw it's just sort of a a symptom of the script and the the overall idea and the themes going on because you know yeah the the whole thing is just this like pastoral montana scene and then all Mm -hmm. the conflict is a million miles away so it's it's like the world conflict
2: so yeah, but then difficult. there's, like, this entrance scene that takes, like, I feel like 30 minutes. Um, it, 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 I don't know. It, it feels like there's a setup sometimes, like, we're going to get there, but then it, it, it doesn't really. Or, like, them taking off the suit and approaching. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it just, like, I guess my point is, like, I'm not faulting, like, a, like, objectively this movie. I just, I feel like I don't have a grasp on this this filmmaker, I don't feel like I get a grasp on his like personality or his identity through his movies. Not that I guess you necessarily have to, but sure. um, I, I don't know. I, I just feel lost. The more I, I watch um, his movies, the more I have or the less of a grasp I have on what he's doing. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, yeah, because yeah,
3: I think I know, don't think ahead. this movie abandoned tension either. Like when you talk about an entrance scene through a sort of you know, alien, the film alien as sort of landscape, this tunnel was kind of grew to appear alien. And it was very reminiscent of some of the Ridley Scott imagery. And it, uh, I don't know. I feel like there was supposed to be more tension in that sort of like, why are you drawing this scene out other than to sort of tweak at that. And it, it was ineffective for me in that sense. Like I, I was never wondering where this was going to go in a, in a, sinister direction if you would like it and that's something that was very palpable in his in prisoners and especially sicario my word that's an incredibly visceral film to sit through
2: Mm -hmm.
1: sicario also had a benefit of just an incredible soundtrack that really i don't know drove home the tension for me uh especially because it just had this like really deep like guttural bass rumbling going through the whole soundtrack Uh, Which made a lot of the scenes really, really unnerving.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I appreciated the soundtrack in this film as well. But, um, yeah, I agree. I I read a ton of stuff about Arrival, and and one of them was faulting the soundtrack in Sicario, which I didn't understand because it did... Yeah, that's weird. ...do so much for it. Um, But I... uh, So talking about things i do appreciate about this movie but uh i guess all of them sort of go hand in hand with things like like the more i think about this movie and i tried to read a lot uh about it since i saw it last night um the more i just continually get like split down the line on it um which is fine and i think even the the critical discourse surrounding it, um, is divided too. Like I read so much stuff about like this one critic would be like the treatment of aliens was really fresh. And then somebody else would be like, this is just the same thing over and over again. Um, which is, which is interesting in itself. And, and I'm glad that this movie exists, um, if for no other reason than to, to create that. But, um, <clears throat> what I appreciated, I, I, and I want to mention this because, uh, we're usually pretty quick or at least I am to point out when movies fail to do this, but, um, it has this, this woman, um, at the middle of the movie, uh, who's a very smart, capable, uh, woman and, uh, driving that. And then it also has, uh, different minorities surrounding her and, um, it does a good job of populating these, um, these roles without feeling forced, with, without feeling like they have an agenda to fill, to fill, it feels very natural. I don't know how to describe how the movie does that, but it does. Um, yeah. Which is something that Interstellar is does not do well, and it's very transparent in, 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 in Interstellar that um, that it feels forced when you know they start killing off and, and alienating um, people who aren't white dudes. Um, this movie doesn't do that. Uh, besides the fact that um, it, you know, it becomes very, uh, I guess, heteronormative at the end for reasons that don't really appeal to me. Um, but I, I uh, suppose you could levy like nationalism at it, too. In at the, you know,
3: at the core, it's America's the good guys and the Chinese and Russians want
2: to blow it out of the sky. It's like, oh. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, certainly. Yeah, I have a lot more more to say that that broaches that, but um, uh, as we go along. But, but just on a base level, I appreciate how he was able to populate these roles without it feeling very forced. Like it, you know, it just felt natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the only
1: thing, and I don't know, maybe Jake, Sean, Myros, one of you guys yeah. can can illuminate this for me. The only thing that really took me out of it was I could not figure out what the fuck Forrest Whitaker's accent was. What is he doing? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I thought that too. It was it was just like I and it, it You know even, who they should have asked? They should have asked Amy Adams. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I bring it up is because
1: it was like Forrest Whitaker, when you see Forrest Whitaker, it's fucking Forrest Whitaker. He's like twenty seven feet tall and he's you know, he's got his that whole look about him and he, you know it's Forrest Whitaker. Except it took me like three minutes longer than it normally
2: would have for it to set in because I was like, What the f- what is that voice? What <laughs> <laughs> you know how you know how her like thing—the thing that got her recruited—was like what, this Sanskrit word for war and and its uh, translation or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was the thing that she said, like to ask the guy from Colombia. Yeah, she should have said, "Ask him what your accent is."
1: <laughs> that would have cleared it up a lot for me.
0: The
2: rest of the movie would have
0: been exactly the same. <laughs> It's weird. He sounded like Forrest Whitaker to me. I don't know what's wrong, but I, I, I have I didn't really that. notice
3: it either. I'm, gonna chime, I don't know,
0: uh, I'm not going to chime in on this one because I didn't notice the accent. I Maybe
1: I'm going crazy. I was, I was in the Ultra Theater, man. I had super-duper surround sound on the mega screen and everything.
0: No, I have read people saying, Oh, I love Arrival, except I can't figure out what kind of accent Forrest Whitaker's trying to do. Okay, and so I'm not crazy I, then. <laughs> no, but I didn't notice anything odd about it. I don't know. I had just finished season 5 of The Shield recently, so I had I was familiar with him, and that's how he spoke. Hm. But yeah, there's no weird accent for me to detect. I don't yeah, it was weird because I don't know, he
1: sometimes it was normal and then every once in a while he'd just like fire off a sentence that sounded like he was in blood diamond or something. It, it didn't make any sense <laughs> to me. I don't know. I don't know. Jake, we haven't heard much from you, man. Uh what what about you? What was do you have any big takeaways as, from this movie? Or? What uh, conclusion I, did you I arrive earlier,
0: at? I really, really li- you, sorry, what? I
1: said, what conclusion did you arrive at?
0: That I arrive at. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this, uh, I thought this movie was excellent. Um, and the more that I thought about it after seeing it, the more I just sort of fell in love with it and its uh, concepts. And, and it's a superbly crafted film, very much in the vein of Denis Villeneuve's other films. And um, I think also this is – because I've seen all of his films and um, while they are uh, like very um, – they seem to celebrate stillness on the screen and each shot takes its time to kind of organically unfold. He's not he's not a very snappy filmmaker. He doesn't make, make things um, – there's no quick cuts or anything. It just sort of – he lets every shot breathe, which is something that I really, really like. And here I think it's his most – um, seeing most of his other work, I think this is his most emotionally resonant film, um, as well with the, the storyline involving the entire, the daughter and everything. But I think this is, uh, one of the strongest efforts in his Canon. And I just really liked it a lot. There's, there's a lot. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's just phenomenal film and I want to go see it again. Here's, here's something I'm going to throw out here too. Uh, I only have like one real complaint, and it's kind of dumb. What,
1: what is what is your complaint? I want to hear your complaint, and then it's, I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with my one really stupid
2: complaint that I have. Uh, is it stu- that there's a woman in the main main role? Yeah, just should give it to a man. <laughs>
0: Oh, no, my God. dumb complaint is when she enters the pod and um, they gave her this CGI hair, which just looks awful, and took me out of it immediately. Oh, yeah. Mm. And those are, those are some things I don't really try to let bother me, but I just don't think that was a very wise creative choice on their part. Yeah. I, I think one of the big things for me, and I like how you mentioned uh, just the fact that he's
1: not a super snappy filmmaker, because I feel like, I don't know, after seeing Interstellar and... God fucking Prometheus, and just all these movies that are just like ugh, ugh, and even on the good end of the spectrum, when you have something like gravity it's there's a lot going on in that movie, so it was it was nice to watch something that was you know a little more thoughtful, a little more slower paced uh but my my one complaint is really dumb, so n- towards the beginning of the movie, before the whole daughter subplot starts to unfurl and everything. When Jeremy Renner – Jeremy Renner in this movie is not great, although I think you make an no. argument that he is rarely great and sometimes good and at best he's you know, doing fine. Uh, but there's this line where he's reading her book or something on the helicopter and then he's just like, oh, something, something, something language. She's like, yeah, the, those are words I wrote, and uh, <laughs> and then she's just like, huh, well, it's wrong because science. Yeah,
2: yeah, you're talking about the meat cute, which I could not stand this scene. <laughs> and if there's if there's one thing, and maybe I saw that, I hope like I will see this movie again in the future, and I hope that uh, it resonates with me the way it did with Jake and the way it did with a lot of critics that I. Uh, read that I read often, um, but uh, this time around, seeing it, I just could not stand their relationship. Um, I couldn't stand this me cute. Um, I couldn't stand the cheesy, dumb dialogue that seemed to proliferate throughout the movie at times. That just like it, it was, it was sort of like um, it's not a dialogue-heavy movie. Um, but it seemed like Villeneuve, and I don't know, I haven't read the book. I've heard good things, but maybe, maybe it's like not also not heavy on dialogue, but maybe Villeneuve like, or his screenwriter didn't feel like comfortable (laughs) writing. And just so, so they just wrote like little bits of dialogue at a time to sort of like, like, uh, skirt by. That's what it felt like to me because there was so much stuff that was like, super simplistic um stuff that that meant to like cultivate relationships like this thing that was like well i'm going to say this thing about science cuz i'm a scientist get it and it was just i don't i don't know i yeah it took me out of it a, a big a, well, and jeremy renner is
1: the the chief culprit here for me uh, i i don't even know if it was so much the dialogue because i thought amy adams was wonderful and her performance pretty much saves jeremy renner <laughs> <laughs> for most of the movie, but the 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 big thing for me is that that scene happened. And I kind of groaned and I I started to get cynical, but thankfully the the movie pulled me back in immediately. But my first thought was, God damn it! Why didn't he cast Jeff Goldblum? And then. <laughs> <laughs> Once once yeah. the plot with the daughter starts to develop, then it becomes abundantly clear why Jeff Goldblum was not cast in that role. But now it's all I can think about. Like Oh,
0: that, that's why he shouldn't have been cast?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you know,
0: there's a couple other reasons too,
1: but uh, I, I just I just picture Jeff Goldblum and Amy, Amy Adams like
0: rolling around on a bed, like holding up their newborn child and having all these tender moments together. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that sean you brought up that helicopter scene because even i like really noticed these moments that just kind of stuck out like sore thumbs like the meet cute and the dialogue and there's like when she's introduced to forrest whitaker he says you made a uh, short work of those uh insurgent mm-hmm. translation tapes and she says oh you made short work of those insurgents and uh, the last thing i want to do when i see a denny villeneuve movie is laugh um because he's so good at doing everything else that comedy is not really his forte and right. another thing that kind of bothered me, just how like ham fisted it sounded, was the, the kangaroo anecdote. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. I, but even recognizing those, I still kind of, I guess, was able to overcome the flaws and appreciate the story on its own. Um, oh. e- even with the little bits of dialogue here and there that really took me out of it. it did, I rebounded quickly with the rest of the film.
2: Yeah, I don't fault you for for I guess forgiving movies. I I I uh, am jealous frankly, but um but yeah, and the the thing that I mentioned about like the ask him the Sanskrit word for war like that stuff to to me just sounded very like I said um simplistic like there just wasn't a whole lot of nuance when it when it came to like how to propel the the um the plot forward. And so also there's the stuff about like how quick, uh, how quickly she decodes this language. And, um, I actually didn't care for the pacing of the movie, like up to a point I did. And then in the middle, it just felt this, it felt like it sagged a bit to me where I could sort of like see, um, the wires hanging. And I, and, and it just sort of like, I got a little, maybe, maybe I was just tired. I don't know, but I also don't want to make excuses like that. Um, I I was just sort of like okay, so that she's going to go back, and then they're going to go back and do that again. I really liked watching the actual interactions with the alien, but it was sort of a lot of the stuff that went around that that um yeah it just didn't do it for me. Um, but yeah, uh, but if transitioning um onto sort of like what this movie is and and why it's gotten such a big reaction, a uh, favorable reaction. Mm-hmm. This movie is about. Amy Adams uh as this linguist um communicating with aliens and you know there's a rich history of the in cinema of um people interacting with aliens and but most of the time you know they're treated as these outsiders that are threatening us and these people around Amy Adams um the military men and 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 politicians uh are very much aware of um sort of the possibility of threat um and she uh contrasts that as somebody who's willing to communicate you know she she's the first person to take off her hazmat suit and they're all like oh my god should we abort um and so there's the uh, he's working with a really big issue here and um one of the <laughs> annoying things not to sound even more cynical one Jeez, of the more sean i thought things, you
1: liked the movie
2: one of the more, I really do appreciate a lot of the things this movie's doing, uh, and this isn't the movie's fault. But there's a lot of really easy criticism, film criticism that's written about this movie that's just like, "This is the movie we need right now because it's a, like, and it's just like plug-in xenophobe like here, here, and here, and Trump's America, and then you know, uh, send to edit. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds legit. Sounds legit. <laughs> right. I feel
3: like this movie has healed America.
2: <laughs> so but um so it it really is trying to do something graceful which is um you know not just be about uh, an outsider's threat and be about um the the power of communication uh which i appreciate but um you know what movie i think about when movies try to do that 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 um i guess It takes a deft hand, Um, but Captain Phillips. Have you guys seen Captain Phillips? No, I have. What was that? I did. I I I did not. not. (laughs) Okay, just me. So, so Captain Phillips is a movie that, um, on its face, just looks like this uh, drama. You know, this Tom Hanks like um Which not is really white save your movie it. but <laughs> but like um it it's it looks very much like uh, America saves the day type thing <clears throat> mm-hmm. and and it, it it's not at all like um and so it <laughs> fills in this big plot with nuances and i guess it's done by Paul Greengrass who's an outsider um to america but um it, it, it's about the somalian pirates but um it's about this understanding that comes through between uh captain phillips who's being actually invaded like there's a physical threat by these somalian pirates and he's learning uh, in the process or or afterwards about or we are um alongside him uh that they're doing this for a reason and it's for their livelihood as much as it is for um tom hanks and the rest of the americans um there's just it handles nuance in a way that um doesn't feel like it's trying to be an issue film and the the arrival has a little bit more trouble um to me uh being able to handle allegory and um emotional relo- uh <clears throat> emotional resonance Yeah,
3: you know, for me i think that's well before i figure we'll switch into a, a spoiler zone here pretty quick but uh uh, as of now what what i would say my main complaint with the film was is, is just that i couldn't connect to it emotionally really i just felt uh, that it was a really underdeveloped central relationship and i they, i don't have i don't know i felt like you're supposed to care about these things that are just you know terrence malick film stack or something it's it's like i'm watching a fucking commercial for the new iphone sometimes it's like oh yeah. the moments of your fucking life it's like yeah i'm <laughs> biologically conditioned to respond to that sure <laughs> i i can fucking look at it and go oh that's sad but that doesn't mean you've done anything You're to top. make me yeah. sad. you've not told this story you, i'm not really invested in it i'm just looking at a, a couple of sad pictures
1: you know here and here i thought you were gonna say there weren't enough grays
3: well that's true
2: <laughs> as well <though. laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what was your what what is your opinion of how the uh, anybody's how he handled uh, the presentation of aliens? Mm-hmm.
1: I, I loved it. I thought it was smart. Uh, don't show too much of them, and when you do show them, they they just they have kind of an abstract form. So even when you see them close up and you know the full shot of one of the aliens, you still don't completely get what they are or how they work. And I, mm-hmm. I love the use of the that white misty fog stuff because again it's it's smart from a budget standpoint because you, you don't have to worry about having fancy pants you know Beauty and the Beast 2017 level CGI <laughs> and you you have that little era of mystery behind it too so yeah I I love the presentation of the aliens I thought I thought that was uh, probably one of the movie's strongest points
0: yeah I'd agree with that. Um I thought initially we were going to be revealed that it was really just one giant beast and they were talking to its two front legs or something but uh <laughs> no they were individual aliens they look kind of like uh Aku from Samurai Jack
3: yeah, they kind you know, of had that's... a Lovecraftian vibe I would say
0: Yeah Yeah, yeah. and the yeah. the way they the way they speak is also very interesting I read it was described like as a like a a coffee mug ring stain meets a Rorschach <laughs> ink blot test
2: yeah. 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 I'd say that's accurate. Um, <clears throat> I, I appreciate it as well. And I, I thought that the use of this, uh, uh this like transparent, bar- uh, barrier, uh, was like a one of those good moments of, um, using visual metaphor with actual like utilitarian narrative use. So it, like, you know, it's where they pro- projected their ink, um, which was cool, uh, and and it was a way for her to like see how they talk, and and it was just a new, n- new way that we had seen communication with aliens. But it also, you know, presented this like barrier that that you knew that we, that wasn't really going to get crossed. Like you know, this wasn't going to turn into an action movie where they try to capture anything like that. So it just was this impenetrable thing where it's like um, they're gonna try and communicate, but there's really not going to be a whole lot of resolution in terms of. Um, being able to like I guess coexist as the bumper sticker says
3: another thing being that a lot of these things are just so obviously in service of the plot as a whole like they, there would seemingly be no reason for interstellar beings to, con- to travel here that are so advanced in technology that would not be able to you know easily enough they would learn our language long before we'd learn theirs if they had something to communicate to us, then they would do so. <laughs> right. But it's in service of the plot that the language is, is, what they need to teach us in the first place. But they could, they could just fucking tell us that in
2: English. Hey, we need to teach you this language. <laughs> uh, so I, I mentioned to you guys, but uh, there's a really good piece on the ringer.com um, that talked about it, but talked about it in terms of like these puzzle movies. Um, and it tried to make the case of this is a puzzle movie Um which I partially um, agree with, partially don't. But uh, uh, you guys also, or at least Steven and, and and Myros each said uh, brought up Interstellar before I had seen it um, in the same breath, and I was I was expecting sort of like uh, I had already tempered my expectations, but I was expecting something much worse than I saw because first of all, Interstellar is like absolute like dog food out of a can like (laughs) space movie yeah Um, wow but uh what what i really like about uh well i shouldn't say i shouldn't like give him like props for doing this but um i appreciate that it's not like as like self-indulgently like completely inane as something like interstellar where he's just doing things to make himself look smarter as a director
1: yeah i well and i I really appreciate that element of it too where it it felt arrival felt much more condensed and focused and i, I mean as a puzzle movie i don't know I, I i mean there is an element of that i guess just with the uh, the concurrent spoiler non-linear zone? yeah spoiler, well, spoiler zone? zone the concurrent nonlinear narrative <laughs> <laughs> i mean by the by the time this is dropping <clears throat> you already saw arrival come on uh yeah, it's a hot release. Made three hundred mil last week. Yeah, that's right. Everybody <laughs> saw it. I, I think. I think people who are listening to this podcast probably saw it. But, anyways, yeah. Spoiler zone. Uh, time is a circle. Anyway, it a flat circle. A flat circle, I guess. Uh, not a sphere. I don't know. Whatever. It's it's not the kind of puzzle. Time thing is a circle. Okay. Where you have to. <laughs> time is a liquor store. <laughs> it is really. You, you don't. You don't have to like take all these individual pieces and then put it together and then have your own personal like scooby-doo reveal revelation at the end or anything it it puts the pieces together nicely to you know every everything fits together there's nothing to parse out Mm -hmm. it's not completely and utterly abstract this isn't a david lynch movie um you know it's not like interstellar where you need an astrophysics phd or chris nolan is, is gonna assume you're an idiot um and it doesn't It doesn't talk down to the audience either, which is refreshing, because I think there's an element of that pretension in Prometheus. I think there's a a big element of that in Interstellar where every 30 minutes it's like they have to stop and do like a fucking uh, a fact check. So, uh, oh, God, what's his face? Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson doesn't call him up and yell at him or something. That doesn't
2: yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I saw one article that was like from a linguist, like what they got right about linguists. It was like no <laughs> pass, off. Yeah. Hard pass. Who, Who the, the fuck the cares? Show?
1: Yeah, exactly.
3: Jeez. But that's like to me, the reason I would bring up Interstellar when discussing this film is that the twist is is kind of the same thing. It's it's totally plot only, is why I would compare it to Interstellar. It is a oh, much more God. lean uh film. It, it doesn't have the unbridled and Horribly flawed ambition that Nolan tried to bring to that thing because that is and just wasn't an ungainly laughing.
2: mess. It, it, I wasn't like it, laughing at the expense of the movie like throughout. Yeah.
3: it. yeah. Amy Adams doesn't end up in like some sort of a a bookshelf or something, cosmically <laughs> pushing things out. That's fucking nonsense. But it <laughs> is to, to me. I, 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 sorry, Jake. But to me, like the okay. main, the, my main problem with this film and with this type of film i guess but it it can be executed to my mind better than it was is there was no reveal it was like kind of obvious about two-thirds of the way through the film where it was headed for me and i just what was the point of structuring the film that way it it added nothing to me like it was just like okay so her kid's gonna (laughs) die not her kid did die that's equally sad and i don't understand the purpose of structuring it this way as if it's some big fucking rug pull it was just like oh okay
0: yeah the comparisons to interstellar which i had heard a lot about before i saw the film i thought it would just be a sort of superficial thing that they're both these big budget budget sci-fi films with big name casts and um there's a lot more connected to interstellar than just like the reveal But the thing is, Interstellar feels like a very dumb version of this movie, and yet it came out before this movie. Like, in Interstellar, Mm -hmm. Matthew McConaughey's talking to his daughter, and she says, why am I named Murph? And he says, oh, well, you know, it's like the law. Anything that can happen will happen. And here, uh, Amy Adams' daughter asks, why am I named Hannah? And she explains, oh, it's a palindrome. And it starts and ends the same way. And, but in Arrival, just, yeah, Arrival... (laughs) <laughs> i hope you're talking about interstellar right
2: yeah yeah
0: yeah and but yeah inter arrival is just a much better thought out film and the fact that it ends an hour sooner than interstellar does is also pretty remarkable
2: a boon to all of us yeah <laughs> yeah if this movie
3: was three hours long i think i'd fucking hate it <laughs> yeah that's true I don't even know what they could do.
2: Well, with I don't head. know. Like, I think, I think for me, it would actually uh, my favorite. Uh, better, just because like my problems were that it was a bit truncated, yet it wanted to be um, <laughs> deliberately paced, um, and so I feel like if it could have uh, had a bit more time to breathe, I might have liked it more actually. Hmm. So you'd like it a little bit longer. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded it longer because it would have. I feel like it was compromised. Like, the, the um, forwarding of the, the plot, uh, like, the actual plot points, like, getting to one to the next felt uh, hastened to me. Uh, like, her figuring out the stuff. It just mm-hmm. uh, it just it seemed rushed.
1: I don't know. Uh-huh. Well, come, coming yeah. from a place of just finishing Twin Peaks Season 2 for the first time a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I can really appreciate a story that knows when to end and, and when to be economical. I get what
3: Sean's saying though. There was there wasn't really like an aha moment in their research. There was never like a real sense of awe or discovery or like this big breakthrough moment. It it just kind of felt like you know yeah,
2: they they didn't were have plugging away it. like They were plugging away. You know the moment um during the Pixar meeting where they're um uh writing on napkins and they come up with Wally yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> you guys aren't familiar with this commercial? No, no. This this is an old Pixar commercial. It's garbage. Basically, they just are like talking about how the fate of Pixar was like conjured up in this stupid lunch meeting where they drew like all these characters on napkins. Anyway, the joke is lost on all of you. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. I mean, not having that aha moment is probably more realistic, but it's it's less
2: satisfying. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: sure. Well, shit. I'm going to change gears abruptly. Uh, Am I the only person who saw a shut-in?
0: I think so. Like literally in America?
1: Would (laughs) would everyone here recommend Arrival? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Go see Arrival.
0: Uh, Yeah,
3: I give it a soft recommend. I'm not wild about it, but it's a good film.
0: Same. Yeah, agreed. And even if you don't generally like sci-fi, maybe you'll get something out of this that you weren't expecting. Yeah, I, I think yeah.
1: that's that's a good sell on it too. Like, if you're not into sci-fi movies, this is this is a good way to kind of get your feet wet with that stuff. So
0: definitely recommend now, it. Hey, that way. When you see it, you can write a review. It says normally I don't watch sci-fi movies, but <laughs> this. is Well, let different. me tell
1: you, a great sci-fi movie has arrived.
2: Printed New okay. York Times. It was like that was like my crash review. It's like normally I don't watch movies about racial harmony, but. <laughs> <laughs> Oh,
1: I, I mean, you know, I, whenever you talk about Crash, I automatically default to the car fuck movie.
2: And then you get <laughs> Normally, I don't watch movie about having sex in car accidents. <laughs> but I heard this one had ludicrous, so I popped it in. But if you're in the mood.
1: Yeah. Jesus. Can I tell you guys about Shut In? Please. Oh, my God. So, this is the worst theater experience I have ever had. In my entire life, uh, first of all, because this movie is dog shit. Uh, when I went to see it, it had a solid zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is an incredible feat.
3: Uh, well, it does only have like twenty-two reviews, to be fair. That's true, but it's it's <laughs> yeah, a wide it release previewed. movie.
1: It's it's kind of weird. Is it, is it back up now? Like, is it still at zero percent? No, it's zero.
3: It's still at 22 reviews, too. Wow, I was no one's it going to see like, That's it. Strange.
1: That's exciting. That's really weird. Because, I mean, this was, I, I didn't go, again, I didn't go to some second-run or art house theater. This was just at the local multiplex. And, first of all, the theater smelled like piss, And I'm not saying, oh, it smelled bad. Like, it literally smelled like someone just filled a kiddie pool with urine and then did a cannonball into it and just sprayed the whole theater with piss. So I'm sitting in the (laughs) piss zone, and what I thought I was getting into was I I was like, okay, 0%. This is either going to be just unbelievably bad or at least interestingly bad. And I would say it defies both those categories. For three-fourths of the movie, basically nothing happens. It's just a slightly convoluted and incredibly generic horror thriller. You know, you check off all the all the boxes, all the spooky ghost house boxes.
2: Check off's box.
1: Check off's (laughs) box. So we have Naomi Watts, uh, R.I.P. Her career, Jesus Christ. Like this is this is the (laughs) like I've read all these articles about like how it's it's difficult for uh, you know star actresses once they hit their forties to find work before they you know settle into old lady roles and. Good God, will someone please give Naomi Watts something better to do than this shit. The fact that Wasn't she,
3: did- she in that Will 81010 10 movie? <laughs> I, yes.
1: That is her. Know. So the, sure the, the one positive the thing that I can say about Shut In is Naomi Watts is giving it her all. Like, she wants to win the Shut In Oscar here. And it's it's very <laughs> sad. It actually ruins the movie even more because you can tell how hard she's trying and it doesn't make a fucking difference.
2: Also... Sounds like uh, Will Shuttenton.
1: I found out <laughs> afterwards, because I, I was I was looking on IMDb, and I was like, how did this even get made? Like, what the fuck is, is this thing? It, it, cinematographer is the guy who shot Brooklyn? Like, that... What? Yeah. Wait, wait, what's his name? I don't fucking know, but... I, I yeah, maybe it's that. I don't know. And he's done some other shit, too. And he's not shitty. Naomi Watts isn't shitty, but... It's a screenwriter who has done literally nothing, and a director who did a movie that was critically panned and came out like three years ago, and I've never heard of it before in my entire life. So those mm. are big red flags. Anyways,
2: here's and the it, story. It wasn't flag- it wasn't uh, sent out or like uh, critics weren't allowed to see it before anyone else, the public either, which is a huge red flag. That's like a Medea yeah, red yeah. flag.
1: That, that, is, that is true, but at the same time, if you look at when it's coming out, it, this isn't a January release, so true. maybe that plays into it, too. I don't know. There's all, there's all kinds of different things going on here. Here is the plot, which is dumb, but you have to understand the plot in order to understand just how fucking stupid this movie gets. So, Naomi Watts is married to a guy, and in the beginning of the film, we have this little exposition where we see they are getting a divorce... And uh, she has a stepson that lives with them as well. Uh, the stepson doesn't want uh, Naomi Watson and his dad to break up, and he's all upset about it because he's an angsty teen. And so the dad and him are driving away, and she's just like, Dad, why don't you try and make it work? Nah, nah, nah. Angst, angst, angst. And dad's like, no, fuck you. Ah. And then uh, because they're arguing, they just have a, a head-on crash into a semi-truck. Now, dad dies. And uh, the the kid basically becomes a vegetable. He's he's catatonic. He's uh, he's he's Leo. He's Twin Peaks Leo. Okay. So <laughs> so Naomi Watts Then we we've, we flash forward here, and she's taking care of Twin Peaks Leo's stepson, and she's also a child psychologist. Uh, there is a kid who uh, like runs away. That's that's his thing that he does. Then she treats him. And at one point, the, the little kid runs away, and he ends up at her house, and then she calls, like, the social workers or whatever, and then the kid hears her. By the way, this kid is deaf, but that doesn't matter. Like, that's just a thing that he is. It doesn't—I I just thought about that, too. He's deaf. The little kid is deaf, and that doesn't fucking matter. So she, the little kid hears him even though he's deaf. Uh, she's on the phone, and so he goes, oh, no, I don't want to get taken back. So he just runs off into the fucking snow in the middle of winter. And so Mm. everybody assumes that he is dead. So then Naomi Watts is having these dreams about this kid, this little kid, and he's a ghost kid. And he's in her room, and he's touching her, and he's moving doors, and she's freaking the fuck out and losing her mind. And it gets even better because this entire time, instead of developing characters, they have this wonderful plot device where uh, the titular shut-in, Naomi Watts, she has a shrink that she talks to via Skype. And she uses that to basically work out plot points and characterization. So
3: that's Is how that we're, where Oliver Platt comes in?
1: That is where Oliver Oliver Platt of course. is the Skype show. Oh. Yeah, God. Oliver Platt's in this fucking movie. I really
3: love this new trope of just actors who don't even fucking want anything to do with it. They're just like, Skype me in.
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what this is. It's like, yeah, it's it's the ultimate. He's literally phoning it in. It, it's, it's incredible to watch. <laughs> Here's where it gets. More dumb. like phone in. <laughs> So <laughs> He's okay, Oh god this is so Okay So as, as a viewer we are assuming That either Naomi Watts is going crazy Or There is a spooky ghost child And that seems to be like the central Conflict slash narrative arc here Is like is she losing her mind because she's a shut in Who had this dramatic shit happen to her Or is there really a spooky ghost child Fucking with her But it's worse it's much much worse, gentlemen. Uh, our our panel of experts here. Would any of you like to take a guess at what the big twist is that dominates the last like twenty to thirty minutes of this movie? I wish
2: she pooped her pants.
1: <laughs> I wish it was pooping the pants, Myros. You got any ideas?
3: Mm. I got nothing. Got nothing. Jake? This doesn't. This doesn't seem like a,
0: a twist worthy. Uh, oh, it's not. Setup it's not at all. Right. <laughs>
1: Nothing? Okay.
0: Uh, Jake, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, oh, I was going to guess that maybe she was in the car accident and she's the one in the wheelchair catatonic.
1: Oh, man. Boy, would, I would. I wish. <laughs> I wish that's what this was. I wish oh. it was like, what's that movie where, the, Sean, when you were drunk uh, a couple weeks ago, you you're yammering that we watched this. The one where John Cusack is actually a... Uh, secret uh, window. Not, no, identity. Identity and secret window. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was an identity <laughs> situation. So here's what it actually is.
2: You gotta watch that, by the way.
1: The you, you do not need to watch that. This, this I got is, the twist. This is the twist. He
3: stole his story.
1: Uh, <laughs> you stole my story. Okay, the the kid who's a vegetable, and he's been a vegetable for like a year. He's not he actually. He's not actually a vegetable. He's totally fine. Totally okay. Oh, it's...
2: It's like and, a Forrest Gump situation where he runs and the stuff falls off?
1: Yeah, basically. So, is it, so Is he, like, rapey or something? No, because then I thought, oh, he's going to get rapey. But it, not really? So what happened is he was pretending to be catatonic because he liked the fact that Naomi Watts took care of him and they got to be together all the time.
3: I don't know. Well, that sounds a little rapey.
1: It's... A little bit, but it's... I mean, it's never acted upon, really. And so... One, it's like, dude, you could have just woken up and lived at your mom's house. Like, that's fine. Like, that's a thing you can do. There's no reason to pretend to be catatonic and, like, poop yourself. (coughs) And then it gets better.
2: So there was pooping pants.
1: uh, If only. There's, There's a twist on top of the twist. And the other twist is... The little kid that is presumed dead because he ran out in the snow is alive... And has been hiding in the crawl space the entire time. And Catatonic Kid wants to murder uh, Ghost Child so that he can be with Naomi Watts forever. And Naomi Watts won't pay attention to Ghost Child. God. It is...
2: This is terrible.
1: Like, like, even right now, as stupid as it sounds, I'm not doing it justice. Like, this is so much dumber than you could ever fucking imagine. I'm telling Mm. you, if you... I've seen things that are, are harder to watch in terms of pacing, in terms of acting, in terms of all kinds of different technical things. But just from a purely just story standpoint, this is the worst story I have ever seen in a movie. It is fucking mind-blowing. And the fact that it got made and the fact that there's people with names that I recognize attached to it, it's insane. It's completely nuts. And the theater's What's
3: moment, weird is, is. is, as you describe it, it feels like it's a couple. It's like a rewrite away from being perfectly serviceable, sort of like oh, skeezy horror films.
1: It totally is. There is.
3: Yeah, you just like so get rid scenarios. of all these other fucking kids, and you just make it like a my left foot thing where the kid gets all <laughs> obsessive and rapey and she thinks it might be ghosts or something. Yeah, yeah that's hmm. that's
1: there's there's then so many ways that, to that's
3: do it. That's it. You're fine. Yeah. That's a solid six out of ten right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is like four bad movies competing with each other for our attention and they all just kind of like explode into a giant clusterfuck of stupid. It is absolutely insane. So Whoa. so then wait, how does it end then? Uh, okay, so um, I, I should also mention that nobody dials 911. Just just nobody bothers. That's not a As thing. As you do? Yeah, um, so Oliver Platt, Tries to call nine one one finally, but nine one one is busy.
2: <laughs> so maybe he should get off Skype.
1: Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it, man. He's tying up his fifty six k modem. So Oliver Platt drives to the house, and uh, when he gets there, uh, catatonic son stabs him because Oliver Platt knows what's up because. Naomi Watts accidentally left Skype on one time and she saw the kid get up out of the or Oliver Platt saw the kid get up out of his wheelchair and walk around
2: <laughs> so he's driving out there and he gets oh, there. nobody's accident nobody's accidentally leaving Skype on
1: yeah I, I would agree with that as well it's it's fucking stupid but you know Oliver Platt gets murdered
2: and who's wrong? Uh, anyway
1: Oliver Platt gets murdered and then Naomi Watts is tied up in a bathtub. And uh, the kid is, like, trying to drug her, which is another thing he's been doing. He's apparently been slipping her benzos in the middle of the night. I don't, I don't know how that works.
2: I
3: Yeah. I think that uh, she didn't accidentally leave Skype on Oliver plat like, remotely hijack your webcam trying to get some skeevy looks. <laughs> uh.
1: That's I like how <laughs> Myro says – <laughs> Interpretation of this is it. It clearly has to be something sexual,
3: which is actually- everyone. Everyone in the film is a rapist. <laughs> Honestly, this is Trump's America. Everyone's a rapist. Uh, it, uh, it it would
1: it would if it played those things up a little bit more, it would have been more compelling. And instead, it's just weird. And and the end is the kid, the catatonic kid who's not catatonic anymore, is trying to murder the child, and Naomi Watts keeps trying to stop him. And she, and he's, the, not only is he, I mean, he's been sitting in a fucking wheelchair for a year, and somehow he's just a very strong man. I don't know how. And so there's all these scenes where, like, Naomi Watts bashes him with a fucking frying pan. Naomi Watts bashes him with a shovel. She does this, that, and the other thing, and he just keeps getting up like he's Michael fucking Myers. And then finally, uh, she tosses him in a lake, and that seems mm-hmm. to do the trick.
3: Well, uh, you would think just, like, lazing about for a year, you wouldn't be all that strong, really muscles would yeah. go to pot yeah yeah uh <laughs> so I, I i what i'm getting out of this is that oliver platt actually has to get in the car and be filmed by an actual camera which is he needs to talk to D'Onofrio on how to do this whole skyped in role correctly
1: <laughs> yeah i i think they, they probably paid him for like a weekend's worth of skype calls and maybe like two hours on a set
2: not not that i had to watch this but you know what's getting exhausting is um that like i mean no joke that you have to be like oh check off's webcam like if somebody starts having a conversation with their webcam you can almost guarantee if it's in like this grade b horror film or or like thriller that it's going to come into play and somebody's going to see something that they didn't think or it's going to be hacked and it's just like when is it just going to get to the point where it's like a phone is, and it's just a conversation?
1: <laughs> no, we don't
3: have those in horror movies, Sean. Come on,
1: now, Sean. See, I'm, you I'm got to give gonna...
2: Sinister credit. I don't think D'Onofrio
3: ever uh, has a a crazy realization via that webcam, does he?
1: No, Sinister's okay. I, no, I,
0: yeah. he just shows up on the webcam to explain the movie. Yeah, he literally does nothing. He, he just sits in a chair. Yeah pretty much webcam so it's, it's
2: like a there. it's like a rear window situation
0: <laughs> it's like when they contact uh leonard nimoy in star trek into darkness oh and yeah, they say, yeah hey, and they say hey is this con guy a bad fellow and he's like well i'm not supposed to tell you about your future but yeah he's pretty bad fuck him up
2: and then the movie goes and then they do yep <laughs> how far are we from a uh album uh by mr west called the wrath of kanye
1: I don't know. We got to be close, right? Probably before he'll drop it before has he runs be, for president has in to be 2020. Ne-
2: like one of the next three.
1: Yeah. Seems likely. Seems likely. So, Sean, I, Well, first of all, if you're listening to this and you're not a masochist, don't give Shut In money. That's a bad idea. Sean, don't see Shut In. Myros and Jake, I'm going to recommend that you both steal this movie from the internet so you don't give <laughs> the filmmakers money and watch it because, like I said, worst script I have ever seen put to screen. And the more I think about it, I've actually thought about this movie more than Arrival in the past week or so, just because oh it's like a shit onion. The more I think about it, the more like I peel back shit these onion. layers and find different things. It's crazy. It's, the, it's Russian nesting dolls of shittiness.
0: <laughs> well, I'll report back uh, next Groundhog Day when it comes out on VOD. <laughs> <laughs> oh how, how did you happen to, like... I've never even heard of this film. Like, what...
1: Oh, what
3: caught your eye here?
1: I, I, I had never heard of it either. And then Ryan, Ryan sent me a text. He's just like, you want to see Shut In? And I said, what the fuck is Shut In? And I looked it up. I was like, oh, God, it's a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. We definitely have to go. So that's that's why I went.
2: Right. well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, my ears perked up as soon as, as it was Thursday before release date, and there were no reviews in. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Cuff, you mentioned that it was uh, one of the worst experiences uh, in terms of theater going. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted to segue a bit and uh i wanted to get some ideas of the the actual like the most outlandish like like worst times you guys have had in a the theater that had to do with something outside of like the actual movie
1: well i mean yeah the the movies the movie the movie theater smelling like piss uh that's a problem that's that's a problem and then the only one other one that comes to mind i actually was with myros and uh say so, hey, hey enough said yeah, I was. I, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, I've had a few with Myros. There, there, there was a yeah, time. I feel where, like I'm usually the cause of the uh, exactly
3: <laughs> theater problem. Well,
1: w- one time I was with Myros and we saw the happening, and Myros, drunk Myros, turned it into uh, like Mystery Science Theater <laughs> 3000 within five minutes, and the theater was just like rolling on the ground laughing at him. <laughs> so that was fun. Uh, another time I was with Myros and we went and saw the the Rob Zombie Halloween remake. Yeah. And uh, there was a family with an infant in the movie, or like a toddler, <laughs> and the toddler was just cry- climbing around on shit, and the the, the, the people, the, the two parents, I assume, were screaming at the movie, like talking to the characters, imploring them to do things, and it was very <laughs> strange, especially because they were the only other people in the theater with us, I think. It's very odd.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think so. Wow. What about you? That is hey, a violent, of, that's a violent goddamn movie, by the way. Yeah, don't <laughs> let
1: your, your kids see Rob Zombie's Halloween. Asshole. Now I used yeah. to work
2: with, I used to work with a, uh, a, a client, a guy who used to want to watch like only parts of it, and I had to like sit there and watch parts of it. Speaking of people I used to work with, so uh, as a social worker, one time I went to the movies uh, with a bunch of kids, which happened often, and I believe we were seeing like Diary of a Wimpy Kid: Dog Days. Ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I was interested in cuz the uh Diary of a Wimpy Kid first movie is actually quite nice. Regardless, um I'm <clears throat> sitting next to a kid and uh not far into the movie. He looks at me and he has his like mouth covered with his hand and like his cheeks just like protruding and I immediately pointed at the ground in front of him, like the seat uh, or the you know the, the cement step in front of him signaling that uh, if he's going to throw up, he should not th- do it on me. Um, mm. And so he he uh, spins his neck uh, forward, looks forward, and just throws up all over in front of him. It has to splash on the next row. <laughs> uh, because awesome. they look back, and it's... <laughs> like not good and and you could hear it it was like loud you know it's, <laughs> eh, eh. it's not like we were seeing like some action movie like with constant noise um and they were they were good sports about it but um <clears throat> one of my my co uh took him to the bathroom to get fixed up and we all had to move like the whole group of us had to move um because it smelled so bad like throw up which I have to imagine is worse than piss. Uh, worn it like fresh throw up right in front of you, and uh, and people like uh, the ushers like came in and cleaned it up. But man, those people in front of us had to like just have the worst experience. And then the kid came back once he was cleaned up, and he walked in. And there's a scene in the movie where they eat a bunch of candy and then they go on roller coasters. And he walked in at that same point oh, and gosh. started throwing up again. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Well, I mean, not for him oh. or you, but it's good for me now. That's a rough gig, man. I worked with Sean uh, at that same job for a little while before I, uh, I got another job. And it was shocking how often bodily fluids came into play. Like, one time we took the kids oh, to yeah. McDonald's.
2: And solids. Uh,
1: yeah. So one time we took the kids to McDonald's and this kid, he refused to get out of the play place, like the, the tubes and shit. And it was because he took, like, a massive dump in his pants, and he was just hanging out in the tubes, like, bacon brownies <laughs> in the tubes, and it was horrible. Yeah, I got called off, and I left. <laughs> that was bad. Uh, Jake, yeah. how about you? What's your worst
0: theater experience? I have a few different ones. Um, I don't have, like, a worst experience as to something that's, like, happened to me. Like, there's always somebody texting, or, like, even people who have the gall to answer a cell phone in the middle of a theater while they're still in their seat. They deserve a special place in hell. Um, I'll tell you the scariest moment I've ever had in a movie theater. Um, Interestingly enough, I was seeing a horror movie. um, I don't know if you or Adam have seen the first uh, VHS movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So at the, just a little background at the very end of the first segment, which is all shot from like this guy, he has like, he's wearing these spy cam eyeglasses and he and his buddies pick up this woman from a bar in the film, and she, they take her back to their motel, and she turns out to be a demon and starts eating them all. And there's a scene where the guy's running with the glasses still on his face, and he falls down the stairs and breaks his wrist, and he looks up at his wrist, and he sees the bone sticking out. At that very moment, a guy sitting several rows in front of me stood up, and then he started walking. And the way the theater was designed is that the entrances were at the back, and so he started walking towards me to exit. And then halfway there, he passed out and hit the ground, and like everyone around him gasped, and oh. like he started he started having a seizure, and they had to get him. They stopped the movie to get him out of there. It was. Jane. I was yeah, um, yeah. So do uh,
3: you, you think uh, Oliver Platt has a pair of those spy eye <laughs> eyeglasses? <laughs> Just might.
2: Um, Jake, you you mentioned uh, people who answer phones. In the movies. Um, I went to see 28 Days Later on the theater, which was long before I ever had a cell phone. Um, And uh, it was a packed theater. It was a Friday night. And this, like, hillbilly with his family was sitting in front of me and my friends. And it was, like, in the days of the Nextel, like, tweet-tweet stuff. Mm. And... Somebody he left it on, and somebody you know walkie-talkied in and was like, "Hey, what's going on? What you doing?" And oh. the guy and I was like, "Oh God!" And the guy picked up his phone and like walkie-talkied back, was like, "Ah, we're in a movie. I'll call you later." <laughs> and the guy's like, "Oh, what movie you're seeing?" <laughs> it's just like, can like you are surrounded by strangers? You know, yeah. you don't care at all. And, and, and that's an easy movie to like,
1: hide that, too, because the the whole first 20 minutes of the movie is just the main character walking around going, Hello! Like, it'd be easy to hide a fucking cell phone call. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> and it, 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 yeah, God. Um, yeah, just say hello at the same
1: At the same <laughs> at time. time. <laughs> You're
2: good. You got um, <laughs> <laughs> No, but uh, it was like... It, it was in the middle of the movie somewhere, and it was it was frustrating, but um, those next cell phones had a weird... Uh, uh, people, like rural America had a weird fixation with those I don't know if it was dudes who like either you know it was a natural extension of their walkie talkies or their CB radios or what but man um, and they were the worst thing ever invented perhaps <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: I'll give you another one. I witnessed a fistfight in a movie theater once, which is pretty, pretty amazing because um, interestingly enough, it came at the end of Inception and um, (laughs) (laughs) the the movie had played fine. And this is actually my second time seeing it. And um, at the very end of the film, when Leo goes back to his house and he pulls out his top and spins it on the tail table, and then he sees the faces of his kids for the first time at that very moment, three guys sitting in the front stood up and started beating the shit out of each other. And it wasn't until <laughs> and they and it wasn't until later that I realized or found out that um because it was at the movie theater I worked at at the time and it wasn't until later I found out that the guy sitting in front of these two guys they kept putting their feet on his chair oh he, God. he kept turning turning around throughout the whole film asking them to stop and then just at the very end of the movie he just got fed up and started punching them
2: that's a George Costanza situation
1: yeah um. I, I, was, uh, I was hoping it was going to be, like, like, two guys that, were, that went to the movie together, and one of them was just like, yeah, he's still in a dream, man. See, his top's still spinning. Right. And the other one's like, no, man, it's going to stop spinning. He's not in a dream anymore.
0: And then That's I just what I a thought it, it was at first. I thought, oh, this is
2: a dream. No, it's reality. and <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong. Thank you, bro. Uh, speaking of working in a theater uh one of my favorite times of the short time that I worked at the theater was uh it was uh, not another teen movie was was playing Ooh. and then uh um some kids movie was playing and uh this this dad young father and his his son uh, went to go see like chipmunks just the movie or whatever garbage was out and um the manager switched the reels on accident oh i've had that happen Yeah, so they went to see Not Another Teen Movie, which starts out with a uh, – like a 16 or 17-year-old on her birthday uh, masturbating. Um, Yeah. As like people are walking into her room, blah, 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 hijinks ensue. But um, yeah, the dad was like, I don't think this is the movie that uh, we paid to see. Jesus. No. (laughs) No. That's pretty That awesome. happened
0: at, at my theater. Um these the whole packed crowd of families and kids were supposed to go see that animated film Meet the Robinsons, but uh-huh. they accidentally saw the first 5 minutes of The Hills Have Eyes 2, <laughs> <laughs> which starts out with like a mutant ba- mutant woman giving birth to a deformed baby. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's great.
3: All <laughs> right, gentlemen, as much as I'm enjoying hearing about all these problems the young white men are having at the movie theater Uh, let's let's wrap this up some fucking day here. i gotta get to bed all right fine we'll wrap it up i got i got
1: here's what i'm putting over i'm putting over one more story about adam myros getting drunk and going to a movie theater which i could probably write a fucking book about it uh one time adam myros he went to get a pint of whiskey to drink before seeing 2012 However, the liquor store didn't have pints of whiskey, so he bought an entire, like, bottle of whiskey. Uh, He drank said bottle of whiskey in the car, went into 2012, and then a guy sitting in front of him stood up and literally threatened to kill Myros. (laughs) Because every single time Danny Glover came on the screen, Myros yelled, I'm too old for this shit! (laughs) (laughs) oh jesus
2: so don't doubt that for a second
3: marius you've you've ruined so many people's theater going experiences how do you feel about that well that one went pretty poorly i just kept trying to pass whiskey to random strangers and (laughs) got thrown out of the theater and vomited everywhere
2: (laughs) when i went to see the hobbit some kid in front of me almost uh he fell asleep in his own vomit That's cool. Oh, that's that's kind of how I feel about the Hobbit. Were like taking pictures with the flash on of him during the movie. Uh, Anyway, um, I'm going to put over the Ringer piece on puzzling er, or piecing together uh, Arrival or the Arrival with Charlie Sheen, which my dad loves. Whatever, whatever you choose.
1: How about you, Jake? What are you putting over?
2: I'm going to put over a film called The Love Witch.
0: Um, which is uh, written and directed by this woman named... I believe her name is Lisa Biller. Um, but anyways, it's like this... Uh, kind of this pastiche of like of what you would think is a terrible 1960s Jess Franco uh, vampire lesbian film. Um, but it's actually very good. It's very uh, artfully done. And, and um, I mean, just watch the trailer for it, it The Love Witch. It's like a... It's a uh, very sumptuously made and it's it's really cheesy, but kind of kind of brilliant film. I think
2: better or worse than is it like witch? like a witch like Wiccan or like a sandwich?
0: Yeah, no, like a witch like well, whatever you just said. Yeah,
2: like I mean, an I mean, an an a sandwich.
0: sandwich
2: right? It's a fucking act- sandwich. A w- <laughs> it's like an <laughs> it's actual witch making, movie about a love sand- sandwich.
1: <laughs> the love triangle. That's a good title. Are you telling me if you saw a Jez Franco movie where a guy just had his dick between two slices of bread, you'd be surprised?
3: (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. I would be surprised if it was sumptuously remade in
0: 2016. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. All right. Anna uh, Anna, Anna is the director. I looked it up. Yeah, The Love Witch. It's really fun. Check it out. Go have yourself a Love Witch, baby. All right. So uh, if, if you
1: like the podcast... Wait, Myros didn't put anything over. Oh, I thought I snuck by there. Oh Jesus, I thought he did. No, I, why well, I put him over? I guess Myros put something over.
3: Yeah, while well, we were talking about Sinister, that director, had a little movie, came out in uh, the last couple weeks here. So yeah, you go see Doctor Strange. It's fun. <laughs> All right,
1: I'm actually I might do that Doctor this Strange. weekend because I've I've been sleeping on Doctor Strange. The Marvel fatigue has set in. I, I I've been having trouble getting there, but. I it's pretty good. Now, it doesn't strange.
3: reference any of that other fucking nonsense. It's just kind of its own thing, and that's, that's refreshing.
1: Yeah. Scott Benning comes in, and I love him. Looks like an otter. Got that sweet accent. Good guy.
2: Get some strange. Get some
1: strange, Is that strange, the tagline? Yeah. <laughs> Get some strange. That's 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 got to be a, it. also strange.
0: has uh, Mads Mickelson and
3: Tilda Swinton. That's a pretty heavy. Do they heavy just have all the weird-looking looking people?
0: And uh, Scott Atkins does some martial arts in it. Oh. I uh, know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Briefly. Okay. Man, I wish it was Tom Atkins, but you know,
2: yeah, no. I, it, I don't
3: know how much
1: martial arts Tom Atkins is doing these days.
2: No, <laughs> I wish it was Richard Atkins.
1: All right, guys, uh, if you like the podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes, and more importantly, if you are listening right now and you have not gone to iTunes and rated and written a review for the OpFatCast, please do that. We really, really, really need that stuff. The more reviews that we get, the more visible we, co- we become, and the more people can check out the cool stuff that we're doing. You can also go to OptimismVaccine.com. We've got plenty of articles, more podcasts, all kinds of good shit for you. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at OptimismVaccine. Uh, if you have questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, OptimismVaccine at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C-U-F-F. Sean, you're at Mr. Glynnis? Correct. Myros doesn't have the internet because he's a fucking pauper and he uh, he just sleeps at eight p.m. and doesn't use any social media. Are you actually my grandma?
3: We're similar in many ways. All right,
1: fair
0: enough. Uh, Jake, where can we find you? I'm at Jake Tropila, J-A-K-E-T-R-O-P is in Paul I-L-A. There you go. Send him nudes.
1: All right, thanks, yes, guys. Jake, last words yours. Wake me up Wake me up inside Can't, Can't wake, wake up <laughs> Save me Call Save Anna. me from Anna.